Grace and peace to you from our triune God. Amen. I don't know if you know this, but moving is hard. And I can tell you that uh, with absolute certainty. Moving is hard. Leaving behind the familiar, the people we love, our comfortable routines, our beloved neighborhood, our favorite restaurants, the home in which so many memories were made. All of this can be heartbreaking, particularly if the move isn't something you asked for or were anticipating. And I promise, guys, I didn't come up with this because you guys were moving. <laughs> I, I promise. When I saw the title, I thought maybe it was for us. No. Uh, happy accident, I guess. Uh, but this is to say nothing of the need to pack up your whole life into boxes, even giving away and throwing away some things if you're downsizing and all of the emotion and the work that goes through into all of this work. Now, Courtney and I, when we moved here, we were lucky. We didn't have to worry about whether all of our stuff would fit into the parsonage when we moved here almost two years ago, but we did leave behind friends both from our neighborhood and from my time in seminary. We left behind a city that we had come to call home for the first few years of our marriage. And the familiar and convenient stores we lived near, doctors, all of these things we left behind. But as we moved to, to Worcester, Courtney, and I, Courtney a month away from giving birth to Callan, we had the opportunity to embrace a blessing. We had, had and still have the opportunity to learn new things from new people. As we get to know a different part of Ohio than we had been in, we got out of our comfort zone and routines and felt the fresh start of a new place after unpacking and getting settled. In some ways, the process of moving almost matters more than the end result. Though we might not have, a move might also be a blessing if you're able to leave behind toxic relationships that rob life from your soul. No matter the case, blessing or challenge, moving does require sacrifice. As a friend and colleague put it, it requires a vulnerability and dependence on God and others as we figure out all of the mundane parts of life. And we might not think about it, but the simple things like finding a new dentist, doctor, mechanic, new grocery stores, new restaurants, changing your insurance, all of the fun stuff that we adults get to deal with uh, amplifies our reliance on others and on God. But as I thought about it this week, isn't that just what Christ did? God moved into our neighborhood as he was born to Mary. Christ sacrificed his privileged place in heaven and became a humble servant as a human being. And today we heard in our gospel lesson about how Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Spirit when he, where he fasted for 40 days only to be tempted by Satan afterwards. 
Now, what do you see in your mind when you hear about Jesus journeying into the desert or the wilderness, depending on how the translation goes? What do you see? Something like our desert southwest here in the U.S., Arizona, New Mexico. Maybe a generic desert scene. I know that that's kind of what I pictured in my mind before I actually was over in Israel and Palestine. But I was amazed by the terrain that I actually encountered. It's tremendously rocky. Uh, There are cliffs and caves dotting the landscape. Though I didn't encounter any, in Jesus' day there would have been wild beasts and violent criminals um, roaming that Uh, unforgiving terrain. People in Jesus' time believed that that wilderness was a place where demons and evil spirits resided and roamed. Simply put, the wilderness was not a safe place to find yourself in. And yet, that's precisely where the Spirit leads Christ following his baptism by John in the Jordan River. It's in this unforgiving wilderness that Jesus fasts for 40 days and is tempted by Satan, literally translated, the deceiver. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all during those days, and when they were over, he was famished. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. Jesus answered him, It is written, One does not live by bread alone. Then the devil led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, To you I will give their glory and all of this authority, for it has been given over to me, and I give it to anyone I please. If then you will worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered him, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels according or concerning you to protect you, and on their hands he, they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every test, he departed from him until an opportune time. We really don't have much hope of resisting these temptations like Jesus did. Temptations of trusting in our own abilities rather than trusting God. Temptations of idolatry. Temptations of testing God. I think that most of our temptations come out of these big three. And we tend to cave to temptation a little more frequently than we might like. It's really a fact of life, this side of eternity. What we do have in this story of Christ is the reassurance that despite our ultimate inability to resist temptation and to overcome our own temptations. Christ overcame them himself. 
and he has shown us the way, and he walks with us through our temptations because he faced the most grueling and ugly temptations this world could offer him. We have a Savior that not only took on flesh, but entered into life's most difficult circumstances so they, that they might be redeemed by God. We have a Savior that reminds us we're not alone. And as God moves into and through the most difficult parts of our life, those parts are utterly transformed. Throughout Christ's life, we see him retreating to the deserted places, the wilderness places, to pray and commune with God. The early Christian monastics ventured out into the desert themselves to follow after Christ's lead. Christ transformed a place associated with demons, evil, and danger into an environment of prayer. Though I don't think we should assume that it became safe. The Spirit's movements can still propel us into difficult places, places and circumstances that will challenge our spirits and our bodies. But we press on knowing that reliance upon God accomplishes his will. Where is the wilderness in your life? Where might God be entering in and moving in your life? Luke concludes his account of the temptations of Christ with Satan tempting Christ on the temple in Jerusalem, changing the order of the temptations from what we find in Matthew's account. Jerusalem to Luke was pivotal to the grand narrative of our salvation through Christ. As we begin our Lenten journey this year toward Jerusalem, and the cross once more, we have the opportunity for self-reflection and introspection to continue our own journey of Christian discipleship. So I ask again, where is the desert or wilderness in your own life? Where might God be entering in and moving in your life? This is the process in Lent. Just as we figure out new places to eat and shop, work uh, out new routines and form new relationships when we move, we look deep into our own lives during the season of Lent to find just where God is at work and on the move in our own lives, as well as where the wilderness continues to lie. It's my prayer this week that the words of the psalmist we heard today become planted in your hearts and lives. Because you have made the Lord your refuge, the most high your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, no scourge come near your tent. Amen. Amen.